It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to another edition of the Giants Little Podcast brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the Giants. It's our annual feature right before the season. I can't call it the Beat Reporter Roundtable because one of us is big time now. I can't call it the Reporter Roundtable. John Schmelk, Art Stapleton, Paul Schwartz, and then Tom Rock, who's now on the national beat for Newsday. Can you basically just like pick your stories now, Tom? I'm going to do this this week and then you can't do anything about it. I'm living in the lap of luxury, yes. So is Paul Schwartz, by the way. He was at his luxurious vacation home right now. We're happy to have him join us from there. Paul, how you doing? I'm good. Um, look, Tom Rock is only going to entertain Aaron Rodgers questions only, please, okay? Because um, <laughs> as, as an NFL columnist in the New York, Long Island, New Jersey area, there is only one story, and it's Aaron Rodgers. So I think we should spend um, a few minutes on the Giants, and then we should pivot to the Jets, and we should you know, talk about the big, the big story in town. And the reason Art's with me here is that he, I think you were here in the media workroom all night, right? Working on your season preview story, right? Yeah, unlike uh, the vacationing Paul Schwartz and the big time Tom Rock, us grunts have to stay here and, you know, work. So we're we're here. Oh, Art, in the press room, I think I left a, um, a, a, a half-eaten sandwich in my cubicle. <laughs> if you could just clean that out for me, you know, if you don't mind, I would appreciate it. Thank you. I'll take care of it, Paul. No problem. Now, we, we, we all know that's a lie because Paul would never eat only half of a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 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 How, how much we get for this? How, what are we getting remuneration-wise for this roundtable? John, I just, just remind me before I we take shots here. Yeah. The best food is free food. You know that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's get right to it here, guys. And I'm going to start with the basic question. So let's start here. Most important improvement you think the Giants will make from last year to this year, now that you've seen everything together. Tom, why don't we start with you? Well... I think that the most important improvement that they had to make and that they did make is to the depth of their defensive line because, as we saw at the end of the season last year, especially when they got to play to play Philadelphia, those guys, those two guys up front, Dexter and uh, and Leonard, they 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 just wore out. They they couldn't be on the field for for all those snaps and and really continue to, to dominate. And so, I think having having bringing in a, a lot of those extra bodies, those those players. You know, you talk about a Sean Nacho, um, uh, Riley, who they who they drafted. Uh, you know, those those guys are are going to be able to decrease their playing time, and I think that we're going to see more productive play from Dexter and Leonard on fewer snaps this year. And I think that's that's the game plan. They have to be able to stop the run. They have to be able to pressure the pressure the passer up front, and I think those guys can do it. They'll be able to do it more effectively in the second half and the fourth quarters if they're not playing 80 to 85% of the snaps. How about you, Paul? What do you think? Well, obviously the run run defense and um, Bobby um, Okereke, you know, the addition of him certainly who, you know, you should probably pencil him in for 130 to 150 tackles if he stays healthy. But, you know, I'm going to go offense. I'm going to go explosive plays. Um this team was last in the league in, in, in pass plays of 20 or more yards. I mean, that just can't happen. And um, um, Jalen Hyatt will make sure it doesn't happen. Uh, Darren Waller will make sure it doesn't happen. Um, you know, maybe if they throw the ball to Saquon more, uh, it won't happen. And um, look, they gave Daniel Jones $160 million to make sure it wouldn't happen. Um, I don't know about you guys. I think 
I wouldn't say a weight has been lifted off Daniel Jones, but he was winging it all summer. You know what I mean? And they told him, throw the ball downfield, throw the ball downfield. And I think that, you know, last year at this time, he was told, you know, he went into the season last year with ringing in his ear, Joe Shane saying, you're not getting the fifth-year option. You know, you have to prove it to us. That was the first thing Joe Shane did. No, you're not getting the fifth-year option. What is he going into this year? $160 million contract. And so I think something has been lifted from Daniel. I think he's going to wing it. You know, he's not going to be crazy, but he's not going to be Brett Favre out there. He's going to throw the ball down the field, and they're going to have a lot more pass plays of 20 more yards a season. All right, what do you think? Yeah, pretty much what Tom Paul said. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know what? I I think the speed on offense is certainly a big thing, and I do think that Joe Shane went into the offseason – knowing that the biggest improvement they needed to make on defense was that defensive line. So I do think Paul and Tom both hit those. Uh, I'll go with, you know, the million dollar question for the giants every year, it's the offensive line. And I think at right tackle, Evan Neal is as important a player this year, excuse me, as any player on this team. Uh, I think because if you get elevated play from Neal, I think uh, you will, kind of transform that offensive line up front. We know what Andrew Thomas is bringing at left tackle. I do think starting a rookie in John Michael Schmitz at center, uh, you made a point in the offseason to let John Feliciano and Nick Gates both walk out the door. So you've put it all on on a rookie uh, who's looked pretty good this summer, has had some feistiness out there. But I do think that offensive line, the interior, and Evan Neal uh, will need to be an improved group this year uh, for this offense to take advantage of everything that we've talked about and for what the changes on defense will matter. Uh, and I do think it does come back to every year what they're going to do up front. And if if they can finally solve that problem up front of leak here, leak there, get beat on twists, you know, look at what happened to Neil on opening night last year <clears throat> against Dallas. Yep. Uh, three sacks. They were, he was dominated on that side, looked completely not ready for the NFL. If he improves that week one game, I think they put themselves in position uh, to really do some special things early, and that's going to be a big spot. So, Paul, I'll throw this back to you because I'm with you, Paul. I think it's the offensive weapons here, but I want to throw Art's point back to you. Do you think this offensive line is going to show significant improvement this year based on where they were towards the end of last year, where really do we know for sure even who the starting guards are that they were recording this the Thursday, the two Thursdays before the season starts? I don't know how you can say, look, they're much better. You know, I don't know how you can say they're much better on the offensive line. Um, um, I think Art's point about Evan Neal is a very good one. I mean, he's in the top two or three most whatever you want to, you know, important, pivotal. Pivotal is a good word, um, yeah. Um, yeah, or just, like just, you know, how you know, I, there's this sense that, oh, Andrew Thomas struggled as a high draft pick as a rookie, and he got it and got better. So Evan Neal will follow suit and doing that. They're not the same player. We don't know that. I mean, just because he's a, you know, the number seven pick, you know, from Alabama, oh, he will follow in Evan in. Um, Andrew Thomas's footsteps. He's a different guy. He's a different player. I think he's a hard worker. He's a he's a mountain of a man. We have no idea if he's going to make it. So he's a huge. They don't have an answer at right tackle if he is not the answer at right tackle. Um, so 
Um, you know, I think Josh Azuda will end up being a starting guard at some point, you know, maybe on day one, you know, maybe. I think they kind of would want Bredesen to be the swing guy. And I think they want – I know last year after the season, Joe Shane was feeling like Josh Azuda could be our starting guard next year. Look, they drafted the guy in the third round, right? Why do you draft a, a guard in the third round? to start at some point. You know, you don't need to draft a guard in the third round to be a, a swing guy. So um, I'm not ready to say that, oh, yeah, the offensive line is much better. This, in, no, in my mind, there's no question that position group, again, is the biggest question mark. It has the potential, I think, to be pretty good. Pretty good. You know, I don't think it has the potential to be great. It has potential to be a pretty good offensive line that can get things done. Um, but it also has the potential to be less than that. So, Tom, why don't you attack the offense then? Uh, when you take a look at this, will this offense look the same as it did last year? Do you think it'll be a little bit more wide open like it was in the final few games last year against the Colts and the Vikings? Uh, what do you think this offense is going to look? And you can either take it from the O-line perspective or the weapon perspective or or Daniel Jones' angle, whatever you want to do. Right. Well, I mean, listen, Daniel Jones Daniel Jones was a one-quarterback, one-touchdown-a-game quarterback for most of last season until he got to play the Colts and the Vikings, which are two of the which were two of the worst defenses in the league. So, you know, I I think it's a it's a big stretch to say that that's the Daniel Jones we're going to see all season now because he he's he's never really been that consistently. He was that for for about three weeks there at the end of the regular season and 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 the playoffs. And like I said, those were against some of the worst defenses in the league. So I'm not I'm not completely sold on that just yet. But having Waller, having Hyatt, having um uh Wandale back if once he once he's fully healthy and 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 he can do what he can do. Uh, having Saquon integrated into into the passing offense, I think that there's going to be a lot more options for him to uh, to, to to find the ball, to, to to find open receivers, and to get the ball out and and run with the ball too, because there's not going to be as many uh, stacked boxes trying to stop Saquon because they're going to have to be so concerned about about stopping the other guys. So it's it's all going to work out. I think I think. To build on what Paul said a little bit, this is definitely as pretty as Daniel Jones has been sitting in his career. He's he he's never had quite as much going for him as a member of the Giants. And now it's up to him to prove that he can earn that contract that he got and and do something with all of these toys that he's received. Or do you think Jones looks significantly different this year in, in his approach and, and just kind of his role in the offense? To me, he looks much more decisive. <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, in terms of the comfort level that comes with that, I, I do think uh, early on the points that were made, the idea that, you know, he has the contract, he doesn't have the idea in his head of, you know, I have no fifth-year option, I have no fifth-year option, you know, I'm, I'm playing for my football life. I, I mean, I don't think he's thinking that. I don't think that changes him day to day, uh, but it was kind of a cool scene that I saw in the locker room yesterday, and I had not seen it at all uh, since I've been here. And, you know, we've all been together. You, you all kind of pick things up in the locker room. Daniel Jones is sitting at his locker. Jalen Hyatt has now grabbed the locker in between Jones and Sterling Shepard uh, now that David Sills is out uh, in Denver. And Cole Beasley was standing there with Daniel Jones and they just had their tab had the tablet open. And my presumption is that Daniel Jones 
was breaking down routes from practice. In fact, I think it was Beasley who walked over with his pad and showed something to Daniel is how the whole thing started. Okay, so that I'm correct. I thought it was Daniel's tablet. You might be right. But Daniel I, had I might control of it. And then all of a sudden, Jalen Hyatt sidles up to Daniel and they start breaking things down on the tablet. So now it's Beasley, Jones, and yep. Hyatt. And then Shep comes over because Jalen Hyatt says to Shepard, hey, Shep, what do you think of this? Uh, and this is a rookie now bringing in the veteran, the longest tenure giant. And then I'd say for about three, four, five minutes, it was a while. It was a while. All four of them there breaking down plays on the tablet. To me, that's Daniel Jones, right? That that's Daniel Jones commanding this team. That's something that Eli always used to do. Fridays, they would have their receiver meetings. Eli would always bring them together. Now, meetings are meetings, and you don't want to make comparisons, but Something like that, Daniel Jones being that comfortable out in the open in the locker room. You know, Daniel Daniel is always, you know, he talks on his day and you could walk up to him and talk to him, but he doesn't say anything. It just seemed like that moment to me, it struck me as, you know, they're really breaking down this offense. This isn't about learning this offense. It's about kind of critiquing each other and seeing how they can play off of one another. So for me, that's the difference I see in Daniel Jones. It might be subtle and it might not even show up on week one, but I do think this offense kind of revolves around Daniel Jones. And I, I don't want to slight Saquon Barkley in any way, but this is Daniel Jones's offense. If Daniel Jones does not meet expectations, this offense will not reach the levels that in inside his building, they hope it does. Or do you think he'll run as much as he did last year? I think so. It's part of his game, right? I, I agree mean, with I, you, by the way. I think, and I think maybe some of the offensive line deficiencies, maybe early on, will force him to run a little bit, you know, to get out in space. But that's another thing that's going to put this defense, uh, the opposing defense, on its heels. You know, I love the idea of Waller clearing out the middle for Paris Campbell and Wandell and Shep, and then oh, 26. You know, that middle of the field is open because Waller is going down the field in the middle, you know, carrying that linebacker, carrying that extra safety. Uh, to me, that's how this offense changes its complexion from the way it looked last year because they had to work everything, uh, you know, through that clogged middle because everybody was sitting there trying to take Saquon away. Uh, this year, I don't know if teams can do that because I think the Giants will make them pay if they do. Paul, what do you think this offense ultimately looks like this year as compared to what we saw last year? More passing. You know, I, I, I you know, Brian Dable wants to throw the ball. You know, he wants to throw it. We know it. Um, and I think they're going to throw the ball more. You know, I mean, who did they pay? They paid Daniel. They didn't pay Saquon, right? I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's the way the world works in the NFL. I get that. But, um, you know, last year, because of deficiencies and the offensive line and things like that, they had to run a run first offense, right? And and they had a good record, the run first offense. But in the second half, Saquon's numbers went down. They tried to throw the ball more. As Tom said, you know, Daniel's numbers went up. You know, who they're playing against, they get Isaiah Hodgins. Um, I just think I think they're gonna be a pass first team. And that doesn't mean Saquon gets no carries, certainly. Um you know, this, this, this system and everything, you know, what did they tell you by, by holding such a hard line with Saquon is, you know, you can have 1300 yards like you did as a rookie and catch 90 passes and the team wasn't any good. 
Um, you know, last year you had 1,300 yards, but and it's no knock on Saquon. It's just the way the league is built right now uh, is that, you know, with Hyatt, with you know, th they see things now, you know, with Waller. They see things they can do in this offense, and I think it's going to be a, a lot more wide open. I think they're going to try to throw first and then kind of like tenderize the defense and then, you know, have Saquon kind of pound them inside a little bit. I, I just think that's what Dayball has been in his career. You know, now he'll tell you, oh, I had Jamal Charles in, in uh, Kansas City and we were a, a running team. I get that, but they because they had no quarterback. Um, you pay a guy 160 to throw the ball, not to hand it off. And I think they're going to throw it. And that's what they did where Kafka came from too, right in Kansas City. So I, I would I would tend to agree. Follow, you know, follow the breadcrumbs, right? Dable wants to throw it, Kafka wants to throw it, they're gonna throw it. You're ready for a change. Payday comes early with citizens. So go to that retreat. New you moves to the country. Now you're raising goats and launching a lifestyle brand. Are you ready for all that life brings? So Tom. We've mentioned Waller. I think we all agree that he's probably going to be the quote-unquote number one option here. How do you think the rest of that wide receiver core develops? Mm -hmm. Who think, by the time we get to the bye week, which for the Giants is very late in, in December, who do you think ends up being kind of that second receiving option after Waller? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, John, because they, they do have a lot of options. They don't they don't really have a kind of a standout number one go-to guy. Um you know, Hodgins, Hodgins has that connection with with Daniel that we saw last year. That was that was so great and, and carried them to the to the playoff win. And and Shep and Daniel go back a long ways. You know, but you gotta worry was is Shep gonna be gonna be healthy? And then Hyatt obviously is the explosive guy, and 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 Campbell is 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 so fast. And you know that that's that's a really that's a really tough question. It's it's actually one of the things that I'm going to be watching for this season is to see who 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 becomes that and i think it's going to be a, a game to game thing probably uh where where they go with the ball uh wandale is 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 the guy that i think that is supposed to be that and whether or not he can stay healthy and and play in that role that he was scripted for last year that that got pulled out from underneath him when his when his knee buckled uh, if if he can if he can come back and and kind of find that groove that he was just about starting to get into last year when when that knee snapped, I think I think it could be Wandale, you know. But uh, the, I think they the fact that they have a lot of guys who who could be that person, as opposed to last year when they went into the season and they were like, oh, you know, I mean, David Sills was competing for a starting job on this team a year ago at this time, and now he's cut so that's how that's how much better they've gotten that at wide receiver so i think it's going to be interesting to see uh who develops from, from that group and and who really finds that chemistry with daniel because that's always been something that's very very elusive too for daniel is is that is that chemistry is that some some players get it right away and some and, and some don't and i think we've seen over the summer that waller is is one who does uh and and we'll find out who the, who among the rest of them also join that group you know or do you think this is going to be and i kind of described this as a wide receiver by committee approach where you know early in the year we might see five different receivers getting at least 20 percent of the snaps to start and then do you think they'll stick with that are they going to try to find their main three and then really roll with those guys throughout the year how quickly does Hyatt come along how did you, do you see this whole wide receiver thing coming together i mean we've seen regimes here talk about the idea of 
well, we're going to be a week to week. We're going to game plan every week and we might look different every week. For the first time, this current regime last year actually showed it on the field. You know, they basically reinvested, they reinvented themselves on a week to week basis in terms of how they looked, which game plan they went, what they thought they could attack teams with. So, yeah, I do think that in some ways you're going to have a team that looks different every now and then. But I think Jalen Hyatt is somebody who will be very similar to Deshaun Jackson, that, you know, he's not a high volume guy right now in his career. Maybe he becomes that. But if he gets, you know, four targets a game, he can make you pay, you know, three three catches, 70 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. And all of a sudden his impact just goes from here to here. I think the volume guy is Paris Campbell uh, because of what I said about Waller kind of opening up that middle of the field. I think teams are going to be so focused on uh, on Darren Waller that the two guys that are going to really reap the benefits are Paris Campbell. And don't forget about Daniel Bellinger, especially in the red zone. We saw it in the second preseason game. He catches that touchdown. I was joking with him in the locker room the other day, you know, you could have gone one or two ways when they signed Darren, when they traded for Darren Waller, you know, the idea of, oh, well, does that mean that they don't like Daniel Bellinger or do they look at Daniel Bellinger and say his profile is going to be raised now because of Darren Waller. And I think Bellinger is a guy that is going to be a big part of this offense, not volume wise, but it wouldn't surprise me if Daniel Bellinger has, you know, by beginning of November, three, four touchdown catches, the way this offense is built, they want to use two tight ends too. We talked about Dable and how much he wants to throw the ball. He wants to use tight ends. I mean, I think you're going to see a lot of, you know, a lot of 12 personnel. I think you'll see a lot of 13 personnel with Lawrence Cager being the third tight end. So it'll be very interesting to see how this offense does become. So to answer your point, I think it will look different week to week. We know the constants are in it. We know Darren Waller is not disappearing one week versus the next, but I do think that there will be guys who, you know, also have to take advantage of injuries. You know, we know that there are guys who, you know, they get banged up. I mean, Shep's gotten banged up, Paris Campbell, Wandell. I mean, you've got guys in this offense that, you know, you almost anticipate, okay, they're going to miss a game or two, you know, down the road because they're in that position where they're going to take a beating on the inside. So um, I think the depth helps. Um, and we'll just have to see the way it plays out. But I do think um, Paris Campbell is somebody that that I would say uh, could have his career year, which unfortunately for Giants fans, they're already looking at it. Murphy's Law. You know, of course, Paris Campbell signs a one year deal, has a career year with the Giants. And now we have to try to figure out a way to pay him big money in the offseason. That's just the way things go. But that's a better option than the reverse where. You know, he would come here and not give you anything. So we'll see how that works. Out. Yeah, I think we already identified, right? Evan Neal as maybe one of the more pivotal players on this offense. So I'm not going to ask that question. Any of you guys have anything that you think you want to add on the offense before we head over to the defensive side of the ball? Well, I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm paying fairly close attention here. You know, I mean, I'm, <laughs> you know, my mind wanders a little bit here. Did anyone mention uh, Darius Slayton? No, they did not. You're right. Right. I mean, he, he is probably the number one wide receiver right now. And and we're all talking about, well, it's going to be – I agree with Art. I, I would – if you had to ask me, you know, put 20 bucks on something, I would say Paris Campbell leads the team, the receivers in in, in catches. But 
Nobody mentioned Darius Slayton. You know, Tom mentioned the, the relationship between Hodgins and the chemistry and Daniel Jones. I mean, Daniel Jones and Darius Slayton certainly have, you know, excellent chemistry. Uh, you know, they, they came in the same draft class. So it's interesting we didn't mention him. Um, one thing um, Art said, which I liked, uh, kind of my beat writer antenna, you know, uh, you know, I've seen that the Jalen Hyatt, Deshaun Jackson kind of, you know, you know, he's not, I don't know if he has that kind of, breathtaking speed but that kind of yeah he may catch three catches he may have three receptions for 57 yards but one of them is a 43 yarder that busts the game open I get that um now can you imagine if Jalen Hyatt has a big game against the Eagles and we kind of can can use that you know you know I mean look Deshaun Jackson you know you, you know anyone any any giant fan listening to this is going to just they hear Deshaun Jackson, they may just turn it off and throw their laptop or something. I mean, they hate the guy. And, um, you know, so that would be a great, you know, that would be a great thing. Um, um, you know, the one thing I, I would say, and I think it, it hasn't been underplayed. We've all written a tremendous amount about Darren Waller. But, I mean, I guess if you look up seamless in the dictionary, seamless transition, so far, without having played, I mean, this guy is is – I mean, he should run for office in New Jersey. I mean, this guy is unbelievably, I mean, he says the right things. He, he, he you know, look, I mean, in, in the first week or two in training camp, right, when they're seven on sevens in shorts and T-shirts, it's literally like, okay, that's Michael Jordan out there catching passes. I mean, he looked like a freak. Uh, then they put the pads on and he still kind of looks like a freak. So um, it'll be really interesting. I mean, is this guy the comeback player of the year? I mean, Damar Hamlin, I, I think, is the comeback player of the year, that kind of thing. But, um, I mean, this guy has the potential to be some kind of story in New York. I mean, he he's a captain right away. You know, he's one of the seven guys. You know, I mean, it's it's a big list. I mean, I think Tom Rock got votes for captain with the Giants. But um, he doesn't even cover them on a regular basis anymore. You know, and he, he got he's one of the 22 guys who got a vote, which is unbelievable. My C, my C is for columnists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that is I mean, a lot of the podcast right there. That was good. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, well, the podcast isn't over. I, I think I can come up with the line of the podcast. It's not over yet. Um, but, but um, you know, I think just think Wilder. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, the guy the guy is interesting. He makes plays. Um, it'll be a great story to see how it all turns out. Giants Auto Podcast is brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the New York Giants. From game day to every day, Citizens is made ready for Giants fans with insights, guidance, and solutions. Learn more at citizensbank.com. And, Tom, I'm going to go to you to start with the defense here. Put the Giants defense in some context with the rest of the league, right? They run a very different system than what most other teams are running nowadays who are kind of navigating towards that two-safety, deep shell coverage, force teams to run it on you. That ain't Wink Martindale, right? He's bringing the action to you. You got two big tackles, young ends edge players, what do you want to call them? But two rookie cornerbacks that could be starting outside with the Dory Jackson in the slot and nickel. What's your overall take on this defense and how it might match up against what is a much tougher schedule the Giants will be facing this year, especially in terms of opposing quarterbacks that they're going to have to take on? Yeah, I think when you look at those at the two edges, and I'm talking about the the edges on the, in the secondary and the edges on the line, that's, that's where that's where it's all got to happen, right? Because you, you do have those two rookies who could potentially be starting, which should be terrifying to a team. And it's not. The Giants seem to be embracing it. They love they love their guys, uh, Banks, Banks and, and Hawkins there. So I think, I think you know, at this point, you just kind of have to roll with it and, and, and trust them and, and know what they're doing. I had 
I know Art had a similar conversation with them too. I was talking to them. Their lockers are right next to each other. And as soon as that Jets game ended, they started swapping film clips of the Cowboys receivers to each other online and and starting to starting to really dig into their first NFL opponent. There, we were talking. They, they don't really have a chance to soak it all in as their NFL dream comes true because they're going to be right out there and boom, it's going to, it's it's just going to be happening. And, and so they're kind of coming to grips with that, with that reality right now. And I think they're both excited for it. It's it's, there's going to be some growing pains there. And then, and then you look at the edge rushers and, and you, you look at uh, Aziz and, and uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. And I think that it stands out as the most, as the place where the Giants didn't invest anything this offseason. They they kind of rolled it back with those two guys. And and you wonder why. You say, well, they, they weren't really that productive. And and obviously uh, Aziz was hurt and and got his share of sacks and Kayvon came on in the end. And you say, okay, well, maybe they maybe they see something there. But those guys have to really step up too, uh, because they are as critical to this defense in their development as Evan Neal is to the development of the offensive line so those guys got those guys have to make make big jumps in terms of consistency in terms of health and in terms of production for this defense to go because if they're if they're unable to hold those edges and and make plays off those edges then all of a sudden you're you're sending many more blitzes than even wink wants to and you have the then you have those two rookie cornerbacks in the back things things can fall apart real quick they they need those guys on the edge to come through for them. So, Art, when I say Giants defense 2023, Tom kind of hit it for him. What's the first thing that comes to mind for you that you'll really be watching and either thinking or worrying about? I, I mean, I, it has to be the two rookie corners. I mean, I've been very impressed with Tay Banks and Trey Hawkins the third this summer. Uh, but, you know, look, the lights go on opening night, Sunday night football, MetLife Stadium with the Cowboys. And and you can make the argument that the three wide receivers the Cowboys are all out there are probably have more pelts on the wall than who they've been going against in practice, right? Yeah, I mean, and you know Brandon Cooks, they're going to take a deep shot at one of them. So uh, you got C.D. Lamb in theory. To me, I think that's really why the Giants experimented with the Dory Jackson inside is week one, C.D. Lamb, you know, we want a Dory on their best player. And if C.D. Lamb is on the in the slot, which is where well, he usually plays, and that's where we want a Dory. So, uh, you know, I, I like Tom said, I mean, I, I've loved every conversation I've had with Banks and Hawkins. Uh, they're a little different personalities. Hawkins is a little bit more uh, focused. Uh, Banks's personalities really opened up a little bit. He's a lot different than, um, you know, the the kid at rookie minicamp who, you know, was so nervous and wanted to do everything right, was leaning over into the microphone at his at his uh, press conference, you know, trying to make sure he did everything right. Um, I, I think you have to go to those two uh, because everything comes off of that. Like Tom said, I mean, if if the front is as dominant as they, they think they can be um, and then you have the two corners on the outside, you allow Dory to roam. I mean, all of a sudden you may be talking about a top 10 defense here and maybe even higher. Uh, if those corners don't hold up early on uh, and, you know, who knows? I mean, it's about time the Giants would hit on a sixth round pick to be a, a, it's been a, while. a starter. It's been a while. Um, but, you know, I think that's really where it starts and ends because then you could talk about, you know, it allows the safeties to do more and maybe Xavier McKinney could become more of a playmaker than just sitting back in coverage. 
Um, so I think it really does start with Banks and Hawkins. Uh, everything Tom said about about Thibodeau and Ojolari is true as well. Um, you know, I thought it was very interesting. Thibodeau made the point at some point to say he and Ojolari need to become what Dexter and Leo are to the defensive front. Mm. And I thought that was interesting. Um, that was the only really statement, the hyperbolic statement that Thibodeau has made this year. Last year was all about individual stuff in his mind. He had the post that's up in his locker about all the stats he wanted and he wanted rookie of the year and all that stuff. This, this year, all I heard from Thibodeau was the idea of how they need to match Leo and Dex. And they watched what Dexter Lawrence did in his defense. If there's any way that the Giants could get Kayvon Thibodeau to raise his game as far as impact to where Dexter Lawrence took his game last year, now all of a sudden you're talking about a defense that, you know, I mentioned top 10, maybe it's even higher than that if those guys can fulfill that kind of potential. Paul is the longest tenured member on the beat. I'm going to make this easy for you. You can say anything about the defense you like. The floor is yours, my friend. I got. I don't like the defense at all. So we can move on. No. <laughs> um, um, you know what? Look, um, as the longest tenured beat writer, you know I remember the early stages of Michael Strahan's career, right? And Michael Strahan, when 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 he wasn't getting a lot of sacks, he would. You know, he was not. You know, Mr. Uh, Game Show and Mr. Mr. Morning Morning Talk Show. You know, breath of fresh air. He was a tough interview. He could be and cranky. We, he could be cranky. Well, that's one word for it. Yeah. Um. And 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 <laughs> when you would ask him about sacks, he would look at Lou like you would. You look at you like you were asking him about. Um. You know, I I, I don't know. You know, just something that there was not in his in in his job description. He say all you guys do is worry about sacks. You know, you don't watch the game now. Kayvon Thibodeau, what did he say? He said, I looked at my tape last year, and what what word did he use? He said, I was disgusted, or, you know, he he said... Disturbed, you know, was it, maybe? All, it was one of those two, yeah. All, all the missed opportunities. So I like the fact that, yes, he is a team guy. My take on Thibodeau last year was he was not as good of a natural pass rusher as I thought he was going to be, and he was a better all-around defensive player than I thought he was going to be. Selfless, long arms, um, you know, willing to 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 do the thing, to, to to lead to the thing that makes the tackle, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, um, but he has embraced this. I need to get more sacks, you know, and I like that instead of all you guys want to talk about is sacks. Now he's like, no, I need to cash in more to be the next player. Um, you know, so I like that about him. And also, I mean, you know, you guys both, you know, everyone's talked about, um, you know, Hawkins. I mean, this is an incredible leap of faith here. I mean, this is a six round pick from old dominion. Okay. From old dominion. When they drafted him, you know, I, I was um, talking a, a week or two ago to Jerome Henderson, the cornerbacks coach. And I said, did you know he was this good? And he said, if we thought he was this good, we would have drafted him before the sixth round. You know what I mean? You know, it's the old Tom Brady thing. Did you know he's going to be a Hall of Famer? Of course not. You know, we'd be idiots to wait till the sixth round. So um, this was more about he's played very well. He's got great, you know, height, weight, speed kind of things. But there was nobody there to compete against him. Let's face it. Who was going to win the that outside cornerback job? They could have just left the Dory Jackson there and then they don't have a slot corner. Right. I mean, their slot corner is the Dory Jackson, probably. Um, so um, I'm not saying Trey Hawkins can't do it, but you know, you know, Deontay Banks was drafted in the first round. He's supposed to start sooner or right away. 
this is this is you know I mean we'll see six round picks from Old Dominion starting you know Sunday night football against the Cowboys. I mean he wouldn't be the first player that is just you know too much too soon for him. So you know we'll have to wait and see on that one. All right, last one on the defense, guys. Before we do a couple of big picture things, Tom, we'll start with you. Impact of Isaiah Simmons and or Boogie Basham. <clears throat> yeah, I mean Simmons. Uh, Simmons Simmons is going to be the the fun one to watch and see how. Wink moves him around, I think, because he has that flexibility. And they right now they're calling him an inside linebacker, but he obviously can line up on the outside. He can rush the rush rush from the edge. He can cover in the slot. He can he can do a lot of stuff. The one thing I don't like about Isaiah Simmons, and and we talked about this yesterday, that number nineteen, man, that that's got to go. That is an ugly number for for somebody in the middle of that defense. But he can make it beautiful for them if 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 he clicks with Wink. Yeah, I kind of see him, guys, as almost like the same role they used Landon Collins in when they brought him in late last year, where he, he plays close to the line of scrimmage. He's kind of like that nickel or, or dime linebacker safety kind of hybrid type, right, Art? Well, look, he played six snaps against the Jets, right? One, he was lined up uh, on the edge. The other one, he was in the B gap. Then he was in the A gap. He made his way all the way down the line. And I think that was Wink Martindale basically saying, <laughs> This is all you're going to see from Isaiah Simmons. You are going to see a little bit of everything. And just where you think he's going to be, he's not going to be the guy who rushes. He's going to be the guy who drops into coverage, which they did that on one play as well. Uh, So I think that fits into what Wink wants to do up front. You never know who's coming, who's dropping. Uh, and I think Simmons' athletic profile, I mean, no disrespect to Landon or Tony Jefferson, who were kind of in that role last year. Simmons is a different animal. I mean, 6'4, mm-hmm. 238, uh, you know, and can can is has the speed. I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure he's still kicking himself over not taking Rogers down. And I'm sure Hottie's upset he didn't take Rogers down as well. Uh, but I think um Simmons is intriguing. Basham, I think, is just another, uh, you know, some depth. And let's see. I mean, I had familiarity with him uh in Buffalo, obviously. He said yesterday. Joe Shane was one of the guys, if not the guy who was yeah. most influential in him going to Buffalo in the draft. So I thought that was interesting. And, um, you know, you got Boogie, you got Nacho, you got Sexy Dexy. I mean, good defenses need nicknames, right? So maybe <laughs> maybe just because of the nicknames, forget about the number thing that Tom mentioned, the nicknames will elevate this defense to be able to uh, to do some things that they really have not been able to do in, in really a decade or so. Paul's back page guys are just salivating at the opportunities for all those nicknames, Paul. Boogie, Boogie's a good one, yeah. Um, who else we got? Yeah, Nacho, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's... <laughs> He's going to have to do a heck of a lot to get on the back page of the New York Post. You know what I mean? I can <laughs> see you guys like superimposing his face on like a gigantic nacho, though. I can see you do something like that. Uh, John, stay in your lane, please, okay? Stay in your lane. <laughs> Nacho's a talker, though, so I can see all yeah. of a sudden Nacho being a Serby Q&A and it ends up on the back page because he said something so wacky uh, with you guys the way you, uh, you know, love our friend, Mr. Serby. Absolutely. Yes. Um, All right. Giant yeah. fans love a winner. It's why they love Citizens, named the 2022 Best Bank in the U.S. by the banker. As the official bank of the Giants and sponsor of the Huddle, Citizens is made ready for fans of Big Blue. Learn more at CitizensBank.com. Paul, we'll lead off with you here. How much have the Giants closed the gap to Philly and Dallas and San Francisco? I think none of us would argue those are the three teams that were the class of the conference last year. <laughs> They are the only three teams in the conference with a point differential, I think, plus 30 or better. They were all plus 120 or better. So how much have the Giants, you think, closed the gap with those two teams in, in what's a really tough division? 
All right. I'll give you another history lesson here. Okay. All right, here we go. Um, when when I when they when they took Rosie Brown and I no no I didn't cover Rosie Brown. No. Um, uh, you know Steve but, Owen in nineteen thirty five when Tim Mara paid five hundred dollars. <laughs> I told them, Tim, don't do it. It's not worth it. Um, um, where was I? Oh yes. Um, close the gap. Close the gap. Whenever I hear close the gap. The start of the 1995 season, okay, with Dan Reeves. It was, uh, the, the Giants were starting against, shockingly, the Cowboys, okay, shockingly. Yeah, shockingly. Um, against the Cowboys. And um, um, uh, the big narrative was the Giants are going to show how they close the gap on the Cowboys, okay? You know, they close the gap. Dan Reeves even said it. This is a chance for us to show how we close the gap on the Cowboys. And I think that was 35 nothing, and that was the game where – Emma Smith was running for a touchdown. He turned around and waved to the last Giants defender like, bye-bye. And I remember he asked Dan Reeves afterwards, you know, well, do you think you closed the gap on the Cowboys? And he said, ah, in that drill, he said, that gap's pretty damn, probably not damn, that gap's pretty darn big still. It's like, yeah, that was a pretty big gap still. Um, I mean, I'm not willing to say they've closed the gap at all on the Eagles because, you know, I think all of us have have – you know, um, 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 some kind of shock about the way the Eagles just manhandle them. Um, you know, I always think the Cowboys are better than they are. You know what I mean? I think the Giants are definitely the better coach team in that. Um, I agree. Um, you know, look, they'll play the Cowboys in week one. They play the 49ers in week three, right? It, you know, that's the third of, of third game in 12 days. So we'll know pretty quickly. Um you know, I'm not into this close the gap stuff. I mean, I think I think the Eagles are still appreciably better than the Giants. I think the Cowboys should be picked ahead of the Giants. I will pick them ahead of the Giants right now. Um, the 49ers, I would pick in the NFC ahead of the Giants. So, um, um, you know, the look, the Giants went 0-5, as we know. 0-4 in the regular season, 0-5 against the division. And you can't keep on finishing third place in the division and expecting to be making the playoffs every year. You just can't do it because now you're narrowing the field of the wild card guys because you have a, a team in a division that's in the wild card that's ahead of you. So, um, you know, that just doesn't fly anymore. You know, you got, you know, they have to, you know, they have to win a, um, they have to beat the Cowboys once this year and they probably have to beat the Eagles once this year. I'm not asking for miracles in order to, you know, really raise your profile in, in the division, which is the first thing you have to do. So um, close the gap. Um, you know, I'm not buying it right now. We'll see, but I'm not, I, I need to see it. And by the way, that's assuming like a sweep against Washington, which isn't a short, obviously they got a nice roster. Right. We'll see what Sam. Howell they didn't was. sweep last year. Exactly. It wasn't they, a sweep. Yeah. They tied against them once Paul, hundred percent. Correct. So Art, what are your thoughts of kind of where this NFC East kind of stands and where the Giants look, you know, heading into this season? Well, it's weird because head to head with Philly, it feels like you're not going to see Philly until 2026. I mean, you almost don't see them until 2024. 2024. <laughs> um, you know, the idea is that you have to wait until Christmas to see Philly for the first time. And then you never know what week 18 is going to look like. Like last year, you know, what what yeah. Philly needs, you know, who, who would have expected Philly was the one that would play the starters and the Giants wouldn't. Um, it, it all it all comes down to the Cowboys. Let's be honest. Uh, the Giants thought they were closer on Thanksgiving last year against the Cowboys than maybe the final score indicated. Uh, if you remember week three, that primetime game at MetLife, you know, Saquon runs for that touchdown middle of the third quarter. Giants had the lead uh, and it wasn't Dak Prescott. It was Cooper Rush that ended up coming back and beating them that night. 
Uh, so I think the Giants were a lot closer to the Cowboys than maybe people gave them credit for last year in their individual head-to-head meetings. So week one, we're going to find out. I mean, they have to send a message for themselves, prove to themselves that um, they're here and and they are, you know, better than maybe some people think. And, you know, like Paul said, you can't go 0-4 against the top two teams in your division and expect to continue to make the playoffs again. Uh yeah, seven teams in. Can you be the third again? You're going to need a lot to go your way if you're going to get swept by the two teams ahead of you. Yeah, and look, last year they went 4-0 and against the AFC South. I don't think anyone thinks they're going 4-0 and against the AFC East this year, given how much better that division is. So you're not going to have that built-in cushion if you don't do as well in the division, Tom. Your thoughts on the NFC East? Yeah, it's all about the division and, and the Eagles, you know, some of the things the Eagles are doing remind me of how the Giants acted when they came off some of their recent Super Bowls, where they just kind of roll everybody back and and hope hope that it happens again. And a lot of those guys were were talking about retiring after last season, and now all of a sudden they're back and and they're going to be key players. And you kind of wonder how how that affects the mentality and the drive of the team. And and th- there is a cliff that that guys drive off of when when their physical uh, skills start to erode all of a sudden and and man it comes fast uh that's that being said i still think that the eagles are the cream of the division and uh i think that the as as has been said by my uh, colleagues here the uh cowboys and the giants are sort of jostling for that for that second spot it's a it's a big hail mary to hope that there's three playoff teams from this division once again like there was last year and i i i don't see that happening so to get there, the Giants have to have to beat the Cowboys, and that's something that they've. Saquon Barkley has never walked off the field in a game that he's played where he's beaten the Cowboys. He's he's been here. This is his sixth year, right? He's never never beaten never been on in a game that that he's beaten the Cowboys. That's that's a long time. That's a pretty lopsided uh, streak. So I think that this opening game for them is probably more important than just about any opener that they that they've had in. In quite a long time yeah they haven't beat Dak Prescott since 2016 when he was a rookie so yeah. it, it's been a while Dang. for sure it's crazy when you think about it Tom right back to you now put it in the context of the NFC in general right <laughs> as you're going for a wild card spot I think you can make the argument of the Giants were sitting in the NFC North or the NFC South I think you can make a great argument they would be among the favorites to win either one of those two divisions obviously they're not in one of those divisions but I feel like once you get past those you know two teams in the NFC East and San Francisco, this is a wide open conference, and you could see any of the half dozen teams making up the rest of those playoff spots. You guys are going to make fun of me now for this whole columnist thing, but I've made the point in the past that the Jets have a better chance of making the playoffs, but if the Giants make the playoffs, they have a better chance of going to the Super Bowl because that AFC is just so stacked that if the even if the Jets get in, they still got to go through Kansas City, Baltimore, Cincinnati, but maybe even Buffalo again. There's a big lineup of teams that are that are contending for for titles there. San Diego, even right. I mean, yeah, who knows what what Herbert's going to have going to have this year. So you look at that that path as opposed to the Giants and the NFC, and you say, okay, San Francisco and Philadelphia, and then and then who? Well, there's there's really not not many people out there that that scare you. There's there's obviously going to be playoff teams, but there. You know the Vikings, the Bears, the Lions, maybe that those those could all be all be contenders. But I think I think that it's a very um, 
it's a very thin top of the uh, top of top of the line there in the NFC. And so, if the Giants do get in, I think that they have a real opportunity to to, to make noise. But it's going to be harder for them to get in because their division is so good. You love turf. You're good at it. So you start a turf biz. Business grows. Your savings grow. Become the most celebrated name in turf. Are you ready for all that life brings? Paul, your thoughts on that and just also just the, you know, I think we talked about the tough first six games, right? You have San Francisco, you have Dallas, you have Buffalo, you have Miami in there, you have Seattle in there. Uh, just your overall thoughts on, on kind of trying to get to the win total you need to to compete with those other NFC teams and get into the playoffs. You know, every year we certainly can, we can, we can, um, you know, look at the opener and say, well, this is going to send a message. This is, you know, I mean, can you put too much into the Giants-Cowboys opener? Of course you can put too much into it, but I mean, if they beat the Cowboys and then the narrative is, well, it doesn't mean anything if they don't beat the Cardinals the next week, right? Because the Cardinals might be the worst team in football, you know, oh, but it's a long trip and they maybe they'll be looking ahead to the 49ers on Thursday night. You know, it, it, it's it, and we all do it. We all do it. We go week to week and then we say, OK, well, if they lose this game, then they might have two losses in a row because of this. Um, look, I mean, I, I think the one must win on the whole schedule is the Cardinal game because you have to beat the Cardinals because they stink. Right. You know, like the tank. <laughs> you know, if, if you look, I mean, I think we all would agree that the Giants are an ascending team. To what degree, you know, is is the key, I would think. Um, and, and you know, what Tom said about, about the conference, I mean, the 49ers are really good. Are the Seahawks ascending? Hmm. The Rams are not ascending. The Cardinals are plummeting. Um, the Vikings, I think, I wouldn't call them ascending. I would say kind of neutral, pretty good team. The Lions are ascending, we all think, right? Packers are definitely not ascending. The Bears are trying with a young quarterback there. I don't look at them as ascending. Um, I don't look at anyone in the NFC South as an ascending team. You know, they got all kinds of quarterback craziness in that, in that division. So, um, uh, you know, the giants have a chance in the conference. Yes. But unfortunately, you know, they have like the third nicest house in a neighborhood. You know what I mean? You know, in, in their neighborhood, because their neighborhood is, is so upscale, but the rest of the surrounding area is not that great. Um, that's the my little bit of real estate comparison um, that I will offer today. Um, and Paul, like, Paul, by the way, that might have been the best metaphor of the podcast. If 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 you want that award, do you want that one? Is that good? It's not a simile, right? It's a metaphor. Uh, I get them confused. So, I, uh, analogy, maybe analogy. Yeah. That's a good one. That's pretty good. Okay, so real. Okay, I'll, I'll do the neighbor. I get the neighborhood watch thing. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm done so, then. I can't say anything else because. So the way the way Tom and Paul are throwing out lines in here and analogies, I guess I'm the giants of the three reporters that are on here with you today. Uh, I, I get to be the third, and you know, it's my house is pretty nice too. Um, that makes me Washington is basically what you're saying. I, I guess so. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think uh, I, I mean uh, to add to to everything that these guys said. The one thing that I think of is interesting about the schedule is number one, I, I I'm not fearful of the schedule for the giants, because this is where this is going to be a team that competes, yeah. you know, off of what last year, if you take anything out of last year is that this team is so well coached and the players respond to that coaching, uh, you know, that you're not blowing smoke by saying, Oh, these guys are so well coached. We saw it week in week out. They went and competed in situations where quite frankly, 
there were a lot of people, including probably the four of us who thought, you know what, they may get their doors blown off. Week one in Tennessee against Baltimore when they came back from London. Green in Bay London against London, Green yeah. Bay. You know, so they, they showed metal. Now it's a different team, but you have a lot of the same makeup, the character of this team, the the you know, the important players on this team are back this year, still with something to prove. I think one thing that could help the Giants is the fact that there are games against teams that you would imagine they're going to be competing with for the wild cards on this schedule. Early, you have Seattle. Yep. Late, you have New Orleans and Green Bay on the schedule. So while those will be difficult games or challenging games, you win those games and all of a sudden, you know, maybe you are putting yourself in position again to be that third team out of the NFC East. If you split with Dallas and you're, you know, you're right there and who knows how things are going. So, um, you know, everything you guys have said is hundred percent correct. But if you look at last year, I, I hate the idea of when we always talk strength of schedule and where everything is, we just, don't, we, we don't know. I mean, look at last year. You know, last year, week one, there was no way they should beat Tennessee. And they lose if Tennessee hits that field goal. And they don't. And that's just the way the football gods work. And you put yourself in position to win these games and you hope you make a play. Uh, you know, the game in London, Aaron Rodgers had four shots from, I think, the 12-yard line to get in the end zone and essentially beat them in London last year. You had Kayvon knock down a pass and then Xavier McKinney knocks down a pass. And... You know, you look at it and you go, "How did they win that game, dude? How about the how about the Ravens' illegal procedure penalty that put the third <laughs> down back in the game? It was, it was a, lot, a lot of crazy things late. You know, you could point to always things. You know, you go back to Super Bowl forty two, and you know, Ty Law doesn't drop that interception. It's or, Dante Samuel. Uh, Samuel, sorry. Yep. yep. And and then you go, you know, forty six, and you know, who knows if. I think it was Welker, right? Who who dropped yeah. the pass? Or go and, back to the MC title game with the muff punts. I mean, yeah, it's that's the way football is. When you watch this enough, and we all have watched this enough, and you have the institutional knowledge of the Giants, I think there are things that are going to happen this year that we didn't see coming. Uh, but the one guarantee, the one constant, I believe, is that this team is heading in the right direction. Like Paul said, it's ascending. Yep. I think some of the players are really good. I mean, you could end the season having the best left tackle and the best defensive tackle in football. Yep. Um, that to me in this situation sets them up for a lot of success and they're under contract until like 2045 or something <laughs> like that. Um, so I think, uh, I think they're ascending. I'm, I'm excited to cover this team because I, I think there are going to be a lot of good things and a lot of important games on the schedule to cover uh, that we just really can't predict. Whereas, you know, as we've seen the last decade or so, there have been a lot of weeks where you've gone in and going, I know what I'm going to see. And I, I don't know if this player is going to be here next year or this player or that player. I think they're building something. And that to me, that's fun. All right, final whip around the table here. We'll give our predictions. We never get them wrong here. We're right every year. We all had the Giants in the playoffs last year. We would be nailed it. So take this to the bank, folks. Uh, I'll go first. I, I And I said this on our uh, Big Loop Kickoff Live NFL preview show. So uh, go check that out, by the way. I got the Giants at 9-8, and eight, third place NFC East, but I do have them getting a wild card spot. And I have my Super Bowl champion as the Bengals, and I had a little bit of a surprise in the NFC. I had the Bengals beating Dallas in the Super Bowl coming out of the NFC. So those are my two, Paul. Why don't we go to you for yours? Um, I picked the Giants at seven and 10 last year. Okay. And most, the most um, common reaction was you're being optimistic. You know, you're being optimistic at seven and 10. 
Um, they won nine games. I don't see why they can't win one more game than they did last year. They're better. I agree with Art with the schedule. I'm putting the schedule off on the side. You know, the schedule is the schedule. You know, they don't. We don't know what's going to happen with these teams. Um, so I think that I, I'm going to pick them for ten and seven. Um, uh, where is that? Uh, you know what? I, I the Cowboys are probably due for a fall. You know, so I I could say it could be second place. You know, what I mean, I I didn't. You know, you know, I mean, I just think the Cowboys are are either really good or they're they're, you know, their coaches on thin ice here. So um, maybe the whole division takes a little step down. You know, the Eagles, I don't think will win 14. Everything takes a little step down. Um, I kind of was picking the Bengals in the Super Bowl, too. And I like the 49ers. I really do. You know, I think I think this Brock Purdy is 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 pretty good. Um, um, sorry, we, we can edit that out, right? You've now no, taken no, that. You've no, now no. taken that analogy uh, thing. Um, and I, I, it's just you know, I mean, it's it's bizarre. He's the last player picking the draft, and it's like he looks like he's a good quarterback, and he's got you know, he's got moxie, things like that. So I'm going to say the um, Bengals over the 49ers in the Super Bowl and Giants ten and seven. Our, uh, Tommy, how about you? Yeah, yeah. You, the, the previous caller stole my thunder. Yeah. <laughs> Uh yeah no I I picked the Giants for for nine and seven probably getting that last wild wild card spot just because nobody else will be in the in the conference will be uh be up that high. Well, Tommy, uh, nine nine and eight or ten and seven. There's seventeen games now. Oh uh, oh that's that's right that's right nine not well nine seven and one. Okay. Yeah, you see see this is the problem with columnists. You know they think big picture things. They don't worry about stats and numbers. They don't, you know, they, you, you throw facts in their faces and they're like, well, I'll just write my way around that, you know, um, nine and seven. Good God. I thought I was in, living in the past. Top your every butt. Nine, nine and eight, nine and eight is, is, is my pick then. And I will go with the, uh, I too have the, uh, the uh, revenge of Boomer Esiason Super Bowl. Uh, there won't be a there won't be a John Candy sighting. We know that for sure. And the uh, the Bengals will come down and uh, score a last last minute touchdown to beat the 49ers. Like it, Art. Oh, I so want to embody. I, this is the second time I'm mentioning him, but I so want to do a Serbian pick Giants Jets in the Super Bowl. But I will not be doing that. Uh, I agree with Paul. I think it's ten wins for the Giants this year. Uh, last year, I had them at six wins for transparency purposes, transparency purposes. Um, you know, I think they finished second in division. I think they beat the Cowboys on opening night. And I think that uh, it's time they take that next step. And I do think that uh, Dak is going to be a, under a lot of pressure this year with the Cowboys. I think it's going to affect the Cowboys a little bit. And you talk about teams just rolling forward and thinking they can just pluck guys off. Is Stephon Gilmore going to be the guy that he was back when he was with the Patriots? I don't know with the Cowboys. I mean, so I think the Giants have a good chance on opening night uh, to really, like we said, make that statement uh, for my Super Bowl. Uh, I like the 49ers too. It's uh, I think 49ers and Eagles are still the class of the NFC. Uh, and in the AFC, I'm going Buffalo. I, I think this is their their run that, you know, they've got to be steaming in Buffalo, sitting there going, look at all the attention Rodgers and the Jets are getting. Uh, you know, they, they just think that all of a sudden they're going to bring in a quarterback and, you know, they had us beat last year. They beat us once. Uh, I, I think Buffalo is the team that, that 
so many people were picking last year that I think they're kind of a forgotten team this year. So I'm going to go Buffalo 49ers and I'm giving the Super Bowl to Buffalo. I think they're going to win. I think uh, there's going to be a little chip. I think Von Miller comes back healthy after the pup list. And um, I think they're the team that uh, Josh Allen plays better than he played last year. I think it was a big adjustment going from Brian Dable to Ken Dorsey. I think he missed Dable last year. Uh, and I think Josh Allen will take a step forward this year rather than really a step backward that I think he talked last year. So Buffalo over San Francisco. Yeah, I had the Bengals being the Bills in the AFC Championship game. And so Patrick Mahomes is like, oh, you naive fools. You all want <laughs> to be clever point. and not pick me. Watch me do this again. Uh, I know all you guys are doing a lot of stuff. I mentioned your newspaper affiliations. I know a lot of you guys have podcasts and everything. Want to give you a chance to promote them. Tom, have you have you developed the Between a Rock and a Hard Place podcast yet? I still think it's a tremendous title. No, not yet. Not yet. Uh, I was talking to Nacho about coming up with some kind of a podcast name for him and him and Boogie. Now that their lockers are so close to each other. Nacho and Boogie. I don't know. I don't know how we're going to figure that out. But uh, no, not not yet. Now you can just you just have to read what I write. You can't you don't have to listen to what I say. NFL columnist, national NFL columnist, Tom Rock from Newsday. Paul, how about you? Um, yes, the Blue Rush podcast will be back, I guess, for what, the fourth year, fifth year? I don't remember, you know. Um, Tynes is uh, back again or no? Because you still got Tynesy with you? I believe Lawrence Tynes will be back. Um, so I, this is the only, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there. This is the only one with a two-time. Um, this is the only podcast in the world that has, a, as a co-host, someone who twice kicked his team to the Super Bowl with an overtime field goal. I dare anyone to refute that. I was waiting for the the, the two time champs. I was like, Bob Papa is already running into the studio with Bob Papa and, <laughs> and Carl Banks uh, and their podcast. Um, my podcast is all in with Art Stapleton. You know, some guy does it, uh, and we we started up a newsletter. I know Paul has his newsletter, but it's all in all in with the Giants. Uh, you can check that out. It has all my coverage every week. So. Uh, Appreciate it. Appreciate well, everybody, make sure you go check out everything these guys are doing. We all joke with each other. We take shots at each other. But really, guys, thank you for doing this. You do it because I think you think it's fun and enjoyable. But I, I appreciate you. Paul's on vacation taking time. Tom, everyone's starting their Labor Day weekends. Art, I really appreciate you coming and doing this. Thank you, guys. Uh, I know the fans love it. It's one of the, my favorite podcasts to do every year. Thanks for being with us on the Giants Huddle. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend, everybody. And then it's game week, finally, a game to talk about. None of this offseason stuff that we've been draining your ears with for four months. Talk football. Have a great weekend, guys. See you on Monday.